The trail of the Third Army and the 19th Tactical Air Command and the 8th Air Force is marked by more than 40,000 white crosses. 40,000 dead Americans. We were young and soldiers called to dedicate our lives In the name of God and country Do what's just, boys, go do what's right A hot band of brothers Waiting on our chance To add one more page unto the victory This is Michael Broderick, Marine Corps veteran, actor, and former Gallant Few board member. You're listening to The New American Veteran, produced by Gallant Few, in partnership with the Heroes Media Group. Now, here's Carl Monger. Hey, welcome. It's Carl Monger with Gallant Few's The New American Veteran. It is my pleasure today to uh, welcome Chad Gabriel to the show. He is with Tuthill Corporation. They have this amazing program that uh, or video that they're getting ready to film and produce, and it's called The Search for Aliveness. So, Chad, welcome to The New American Veteran. Thanks for having me, Carl. I'm excited. Uh, it is my privilege. Uh, Laura Orico, Public Relations, does a great job. She helped us earlier this year with our Run Ranger Run campaign, and she keeps sending me awesome guests to interview, especially ones that have a connection with the veteran space. So, again, I appreciate you being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So you guys, first off, you're looking for, you have a casting call out there right now. You're looking for a veteran. That's that, right. That uh, has combat experience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to throw that out there real quick and then, and then back up and say, tell me who you are and what's Tut Hill Corporation and what the heck is the search for aliveness? Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, so uh, my name's Chad Gabriel. I am uh, the Sherpa of Purpose. It's a title that I just got a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I get a lot of raised eyebrows when when I state that is my new title, Sherpa of Purpose, and you know people are like, "Doesn't that have to do with mountain climbing?" And I'm going to write that down, Sherpa. Yeah, and uh, it's it does have to do with mountain climbing, and and so I work at a at a manufacturing company, Tuthill Corporation. We make pumps and meters and vacuum systems and blowers, and yet that's not what I'm I'm here to talk about. That's not what this documentary is about. It's not about our products at all. It, it's it happens to be about what our company's purpose is, which is, which is to wake the world. And that's a, that's a big, bold statement. And, and we're not talking about waking North America. We're talking about 7.6 billion people. And when I say waking, what that really means is it's about, it's about aliveness. And, and for us, that's awareness and choice. You know, it's like, what are my options and what do I want to do about that? And, and that's really integral to our leadership culture here at Tut Hill. We, we have a series of retreats and, and things like that for people to, to step into their own, to start to create that life they want to live. And the reason that I'm here talking with you today is that we're, we're doing this documentary series, which um, we, we want to basically get this concept of aliveness outside of Tuttle's four walls. So back, back to my title in the mountain climbing, 7.6 billion people is a lot of people to reach, right? And um, the Sherpa concept really comes from, I'm, I'm on this journey, I'm on a climb of this mountain, there's a learning curve involved and I'm not only leading the journey for Todd Hill um, on the purpose side, I'm also on it. You know, I'm, I'm carrying the bags. I'm, I'm on route. I'm, I'm moving us forward and, and part of it. And, and there's a lot of learning to go on here for me. And, and that's really where, where my title comes from. I, I was in branding before this uh, and, and just stepped into this kind of more dedicated role to our, to our purpose and getting it outside of our four walls. Well, there's so many things that I've been taking notes while you're talking that that uh, are near and dear to me, especially in the world of veteran support, because those veterans who struggle with their existence, in my opinion, most of them have lost a sense of purpose. The most meaningful thing that they ever did in their entire life was when they wore the uniform for the country. And then when that ends, 
Well, and usually, you know, not uh, the majority of people don't retire from the military. The majority of people leave before their 20 years. And if you leave without a military retirement, something happened. You got disenchanted. You had a bad boss. You got injured. You saw people killed and that changed your priorities. Something happened that caused you to leave the military. And then as you go into civilian life and you're trying to find something that has that sense of meaning and purpose, a lot of veterans struggle with that. And when you lose purpose, uh, then the next thing that you lose is hope. And if you lose hope, then why be alive? And that's one of the reasons, in my opinion, that uh, the VA says 20 veterans every day. And it's not a reason that the VA says it, but it's a reason that 20 veterans take their lives every day. It's a, it's a horrible thing to lose hope and purpose. And even further, the majority, 65% of those veterans are over the age of 50. And it takes time to lose purpose and to lose hope. So I really like the search for aliveness. I, I talk about uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, all the time when I talk to veterans. Um, that that concept's near and dear to me. So tell me, um, in, in the search for aliveness, what, I mean, that's a little bit beyond awareness and choice. It's a little bit beyond wake the world. What What's the meaning behind search for aliveness? Yeah, so when we when we talk about aliveness here at Tudhill, we're starting from a place of, there, there are basically five pillars of aliveness that, that we're looking at, and we, we, we are not claiming to be experts in aliveness. We're very, very curious about it, and, and we really believe in how important it is. And so the five pillars that, that we talk about when we talk about aliveness are, first and foremost, purpose, right? Not in any particular order, but purpose is absolutely a part of aliveness. It's, you know, why do I exist? What am I here for? And it might range from something very kind of altruistic, like change the world, um, to something very simple, like I want to be a good parent, that kind of thing. Um, then we go into energy. And so energy has a lot to do with, wellness, nutrition, it's, it's kind of our, our, our physical capabilities and, and drive to do what it is that we want to do to achieve our purpose. Then we go into present and engaged. And so present and engaged, it's about being in the moment, not focusing on what happened in the past, not focusing on what might happen in the future, but being here right now, present in the moment, so that you know we can kind of listen to our, our, what our body's telling us, what our instinct's telling us, um, things that are involved with that might be the meditation, might be journaling, just real simple things um, being present. And and then we go into uh, the full spectrum of human emotion. A lot of times when talking about aliveness, people go to, oh, isn't that about happiness and joy? Well, yes. And we look at the full spectrum of human emotion as part of aliveness. And we'll use an acronym that is SASHET. So S-A-S-H-E-T. And that stands for sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, and tender. And those are those are at a high level kind of the spectrum of human emotion that we're able to feel as a species which is really cool and and um so yeah we got we got purpose connection energy being present and engaged and connection is the last one and so a lot of that has to do with either connection with other people it could be a spiritual connection could be a connection with nature but it is that that connection with something other than you know yourself uh and and there's this notion of exchange of oxytocin. So just this, this hormone or chemical that we have in our bodies that is about connecting with others. And even when we see other people connecting, like when someone holds a door open for someone else, oxytocin is actually released in our bodies because we saw something good happening. And, and that's, it's almost like a, a dopamine type of effect where it feels good. So um, we, we look at that and in, in this documentary is to go explore those things, see if there are other areas that we would say either fit into those categories or categories we're not even thinking about. And we want perspectives from regular people as well as thought leaders. And so, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a high level um, of what it is that we're exploring and why we're doing it is to gather what we're calling a recipe for aliveness. What are the things people do to feel most alive? And it's because we could talk about the theory all day, right? But it's the it's the actionable things that people do to feel alive that we really want to gather and look for you know commonalities or unique things that are very powerful to share with our viewers so they can go take a moment and reflect and try those for themselves. You know, isn't it amazing that uh, you're talking about 
being alive isn't just being happy all the time. Uh, you can't truly really understand happiness unless you've been sad. You can't understand joy unless you've gone through anguish. So there definitely is a full spectrum that is critical towards development for each one of us. One of the, men, the terms that you mentioned, I would challenge you to maybe change. We, we've gone through a, a uh, transition on this ourselves the last couple of years because we used to always talk emotional wellness. Okay, yeah. And wellness to me is a wishy-washy term. But if you talk fitness, if you say, are you emotionally fit? What, what is your level of emotional fitness? You can measure that in terms of your appreciation to, for others, your sense of purpose, hope, all of those things. So that's we've cool. we've scrubbed the term wellness and we've gone to fitness and everything that we do. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, and if there is any um, any work that you've done that you could share with us in, in terms of, I mean, sometimes there's frameworks or structures, ways to, like you said, you can quantify it. Those mm -hmm. are the kinds of things we're looking forward to share because it is such a philosophical concept. Quantifying stuff like that can be really tricky. But if people already put time and energy into how to, to do that, um, that would be something that we'd be really interested in, in exposing and sharing with our, with our viewers. The other thing I liked about uh, your pillars is the present and engaged be in the moment. Mm -hmm. One of the things that causes a veteran to lose purpose is uh, they they're dwelling in the past. I used know. to be always did this. Somebody got hurt. My fault. All that stuff's behind them, but it influences the way that they think now, which causes them in their opinion, it makes them react certain ways, whether they get angry or have to take a drink or whatever. But if you're in the moment, you can control your actions right now. Right. And that impacts on what happens tomorrow. So that, that's a huge part of what we do as well. Okay, so you're looking for a number of people. Right. One of them is a veteran that's seen combat. But tell me some of the other categories. Because uh, if I remember right, when I was looking at uh, the casting call list, and we'll put a link up so people can see all of the types of things that you're looking for. But one was somebody that's over 90 years old. You're looking for, I mean, different areas. Could A veteran could be that, but not primarily you're talking to them because they're a veteran, but, but because they're over 90, right? Yeah. So at a, at a high level, there is a demographic diversity that we want for this, for this, for this series. You know, we don't want it to be, like I said, just kind of call it the white man's perspective in North America on aliveness. We want this to be a global reach, all different races, all different ages, all different religions, all different ethnicities. And so that's kind of the, the over overarching um, criteria that we're looking for as we get these candidates in. Now, we're, we're calling these candidates the personas. So these are the types of people uh, that we want applicants and recommendations for. So for those of you listening, it's, it's not just you that I'm talking to. It's like, you know someone who fits one of these um, and even if you don't know them, do you know of someone who might fit one of these? You saw them on YouTube or you just, you know, so those are the kind of leads that we're currently looking for. It doesn't have to be you, but someone you know or someone you know of. And yeah, so some of the other ones, obviously, so starting with the, the, the combat veteran and, you know, part of this is it, it is the person who's seen frontline action. And, and to, to even put a more interesting twist on it is what if it is, what if it's a veteran who's actually taken someone's life while serving? And, and for me, that perspective is especially interesting because here we are talking about aliveness and then right there, it's like the opposite of it. And how does that affect someone's life when they've, when they've taken it? And I, I'm fully aware of the, the PTSD and the 22 a day number and, and, and all that kind of thing. And so just to hear, though, how these folks cope with it and also how, how they numb it on purpose, right? Like you mentioned, there might be drinking involved, there might be addiction. And, and that's also, even though it's not like the really cheerful side of the story it's a real big part of the story and so exploring numbness is also going to be part of this and uh so so that that's kind of the, the combat role that we're looking for but we're looking for we we, we kind of pared it down to about our top uh I'd say 10 to 15 personas and those include you know the stereotypical burly dude who does not like to talk about his feelings um but deep down is interested in thinking more deeply self-improvement and maybe the spiritual or inner inner um i don't know how to describe it just the softer side of life they're really interested in it but they don't like talking about it so we want to find that person and understand like what's going on there uh why don't you want to talk about it and share share that life we we want to explore you know connections being one of the pillars really interested in finding someone and i think this is going to be a tough one to find who lives a life of isolation they don't want to be around people 
you know, they're living off in the mountains in a cabin and there's no one around. They're totally disconnected, which is why I think it'll be hard to find that person. But understanding what aliveness in life looks like without connection. And uh, there, there's this notion of what about when you're living without uh, one of your senses or two of your senses? What, what's life like then? And, and how, do, how do those people find aliveness as well as living with a disability and overcoming it? So there, there are so many, so many different facets we're trying to explore. And we know that as we talk to more people, we're going to say, oh, wow, it would be cool to find someone with this type of persona or lifestyle, you know, and, and don't know what those are yet, but these 15 will be a real good start for us, uh, including like the, uh, we have the celebrity. That's the person who's actually had to live a different kind of life because of their level of celebrity. You know, they can't go out in public or they have so much influence and maybe pressure from that lifestyle that you know, we want to, we want to check that out. Uh, the thrill seeker side of things, you know, the people who jumped out of airplanes a number of times or are stunt people, whatever that looks like. So we're, we're pretty open to the stories and we're just trying to gather a bunch of them so we can kind of honestly pare down what are the stories that our viewers will be able to connect with. But I don't want to get to a point where people are watching this and they're saying, that's not me, they have too much money, or that's not me, they're, they're this or that. We want them to be able to connect and say, that's, that's a person just like me and they've done this. So I can too, you know, I want it to be inspiring and and uh, you know, that's that's kind of the regular the first the first pass that we're going at with casting. It's that um, regular person casting call. Okay, so somebody's interested in doing this or recommending someone, what do they do? Yeah, so to to apply or recommend somebody, you just go to the search for aliveness.com slash casting. You just go to the search for aliveness.com and click on casting call. And in there there's just a couple buttons. You fill out a a short bio, names and email, and, and small, uh, maybe a photo or video if you have one to share. Uh, that's especially helpful when you're recommending someone else so we can go go see maybe the YouTube video that you saw or, or things like that. But it's, it's that easy. You just, you just go online, give us some info, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. We'll start the line of communication with you or the person you recommend and, uh, and basically follow, follow up and learn more about the story. The things we'll be looking for, you know, is there going to be an opportunity for us to go to that person in an interview with them? You know, it's a, it's a volunteer opportunity. We're not paying people to do this and we're also not making money on this. It's a, it's really the 600 people that work at Tuthill to make these pumps and meters and stuff. That's the fuel for our rocket. And this is how we're choosing to spend some of that money so that we can actually do this as a public, public service work and, and raise awareness of aliveness. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a pretty cool thing, but yep. The search for aliveness.com. And what's the timing? How quickly, or when's the suspense that you're going to stop taking applications? You know, we're not we're not going to stop until we fill each role. So as as you see, uh, if, as you go to the site and you see the listing of the available personas, they'll they'll switch from open to kind of fulfilled. And um, you know, the the idea is that we we can fulfill all of them. The sooner the better, because then we can start tracking it down. We've got we've got a bunch coming in already, and we're just trying to um, you know select now. We're paring it down again. Where can we go? Go visit that person. Where is there going to be interesting footage we can take? Who are the people that, as they're talking to us, they can show us what they do? It's not necessarily just a, here's what I do, but come into my kitchen, you know, check and see how I make these cookies or whatever it is. Like we, we want to explore a little deeper than just the surface. So, And distribution, how are you planning to share this once you're done? Yeah, so it'll be a web-based docu-series. It'll start out on the searchforliveness.com. It'll be on our YouTube channel. We'll probably spin up a Vimeo channel just to have another video platform. Um, and you know, long-term vision, if this goes really well and there's a, there's a good interest in it, I'd love to try to get it picked up by, you know, a Netflix or another, another publishing online agency. Well, very nice. What have I not asked you that everybody needs to know? Wow. That's a cool question. What have you not asked me? So aliveness, <laughs> what's the question? Why I'd say why aliveness? Like what the heck's up with that in Tuthill? And um, so, like I mentioned, our purpose is to wake the world. And there's a whole long story that you can find on Tuttle.com about why a Rust Belt manufacturing company that's been around for 125 years cares so much about people. A lot of that has to do with the Tuttle family and a lot of that has to do with the heritage of this, of this business. And, you know, the, the, the why aliveness piece is it, aliveness is a very unique discovery journey. You know, I, I when I talk about it, it's like we have our parents to teach us how to walk and talk. We have our teachers to teach us how to read and write, do some math. We have coaches on sports team to teach us how to be great athletes, good competitors, and good teammates. 
and maybe priests or pastors, whatever religion you are, it doesn't matter, but people to teach us spirituality. But I do believe that discovering aliveness comes from within each and every one of us. And right now in this time, with all the information flowing at us, all the distraction, you know, staring at our screens, uh, it's very uncommon to pause to reflect and think about what makes me feel alive and how do I do that more often? And that's why I think this is so important. Just the state of the world today is fast paced, distracted, and I'd say disconnected in a way, even though we're connected digitally with people, it's, it's fading. It's, a, it's kind of a, it scares me. You know, I've got young boys and, and I think that the, the less I see them interacting with humans, the more I see them interacting with devices, it gets scary. And so um, that's why this is important. And so that's, that's the question I'd had to answer. Yeah, good. No, no, that's, that's a great message and a great point. And it's one that I work with a lot of veterans that they've become deadened and they're not feeling alive. Food doesn't taste as good as it used to. And uh, that, that's all part of that reawakening, that purpose, which puts hope in place. And it, it definitely makes one feel more alive. But once you get away from that, it's difficult to get back. And I'm looking forward to watching your series because you know, I, I love to watch videos and read stories about people that um, that are unique in their approach to life, but that are intentional in their approach to life. And too many people, uh, and, and I'm guilty of doing it myself, too many people are accidental about the way go, they go about things. They're accidental about their education. They're accidental about their job. They don't put an intentional plan in place to lose weight or to do a number of other things. And sure. intentionality can get you to where you need to go, but it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point, just that, like, how can we surf the wave of life rather than get washed, washed by it, washed along by it? And, you know, Carl, there's something too that I want to say, especially to your veteran community. Um, as a civilian who's I've, I've worked alongside veterans with other, you know, veteran volunteer organizations. And when I first started doing that, I was so intimidated to engage in conversations about their experience a, because I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know how they would respond to me asking, was I being nosy? But I have so much respect and gratitude for those who've served us and, and given us this wonderful, amazing country to live in. And, you know, for us to have a business in here at Tuthill. And it, it's, it bothered me that I was scared about that, you know, because we're just people. And, and I, for me, it's just about being curious and understanding these stories. And, and the veteran that, that applies and that we get to talk to and share, I, I, want, I want this to be one of those moments where people can start to understand maybe what is and what isn't okay to talk about and what's important about actually stepping into that conversation, even though you may not know where to start it. And um, that that's where I want to go with this. I want to try to break down some barriers and, you know, clear some of the, the assumptions that, that I know I make as a civilian and I've, I've heard from others, they do the same. There's, there's this intimidation thing, but yet we're so grateful for, for all that, that these veterans have done for us, you know? And that's a great point, Chad. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, one of the first things you don't ask a veteran is, have you killed anybody? Because yeah. that, yeah. And, and I appreciate that you you want to be able to discuss that when you do, when you feature that veteran, because <clears throat> being able to live with yourself after having taken a life is not something that I have to struggle with. I, I never did that. So, but I know a lot of veterans that have and do struggle with it. And um, I think from a, from a perspective, if you're if you're sitting there, if you meet somebody who's a veteran, just say, "Hey, what did you do in the military? What branch of the military were you in? Tell me what cool experiences did you have." That'll just open up the floodgates and probably get some stories going. Not all of them might be true. I, you know, I'll caution you on that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's good tip. And thank you, thanks for the, uh, the the caution on the on the other question about. It taking someone's life. That's and the problem is it's like somebody that uh, struggles with alcohol. You, you give them a drink and then the, the whole rest of the day could go the absolute worst possible way. And if you have somebody that is struggling with something they did in the military and you say, did you ever kill anybody? Then that might set in motion a series of things that turns out to be a very bad day for them. Or even the opposite. If you have somebody that didn't, they might feel that might make them feel uh, like their service didn't mean as much because they didn't they didn't actually take life in defense of the country, which is nonsense. Yeah. But but that's just that's such a delicate question. It that is. You just 
that's a good one to stay away from. But but when you have a longer term conversation with somebody that's trusted, then you can say something like, you know, what's the worst experience that you're willing to share with me? Or one of the most emotionally difficult things that you had to go through. That might generate a question you don't eat or an answer that you never even dreamed of asking, but you might learn something uh, really special out of that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Thank you. And I'm sure you've talked to a number of veterans and shared stories with each other. And so if there are any you know, questions that really help to get to the heart of, of the conversation, I'm not just talking about the taking up someone else's life, but just their experience. I mean, I'd love to hear those too. And maybe offline, you could shoot those over, you know? Absolutely. Wow. Cool. Well, Chad, I appreciate you being on the New American Veteran. Thanks for uh, looking for a veteran to include in the search for aliveness. I think that is such a cool project. I'm going to be watching the uh, each one of the episodes as they come out. Great, great. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And uh, and thank you for having me. This is this is great that you're extending the reach that you have into the veteran community for us to, to find someone to share their story. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. We have a great summer. Thanks. You too, Carl. See ya. After the original interview was completed, Chad and I continued our conversation, and it was such a good discussion, I decided to go ahead and include it with this podcast. So, well, you know, I didn't get to ask you on the interview, and I, I usually love to do this, you know, <laughs> you know, I just explore what, what is it that makes you feel alive? Wow, that's um, not the everyday question that you get. I guess I should have <laughs> expected to be asked that question by you on the interview. It ended, and I was like, shoot. So I'm a connector. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy solving problems and I enjoy connecting people. And so if someone has an issue, I think I'm, I'm really good about not inheriting that issue, but I'm good at connecting with them and helping them identify the tools and resources that can help them overcome that issue. And I, I, uh, the first probably I'd say until I was about 40 years old, my, my existence was kind of accidental. So I, I, things happened, but I didn't, I didn't really intentionally say I'm going to be X when I go to school. Mm. I didn't start off going to college thinking that I was going to become an army officer. It, it, it happened by happenstance. I, I fell into a class, met some ROTC cadets. They invited me to go hiking and rappelling with them. I loved it. Wow. And the, the guy that was in charge of the program, a, a Green Beret Ranger Lieutenant Colonel, said, hey, you should apply for an Army scholarship. So I did, and I got it. And so ah. then I'm an Army officer. And, and uh, you know, what's the hardest thing to do in the Army? Be a Ranger. Okay, so I'm going to try that. And then I did it. Oh, cool. And But it wasn't like I started off at the age of eight saying, I'm going to be this. And, and sometimes I wonder, had I done that and followed that path, you know, what would I be doing? But... It wasn't until 9-11 happened and friends of mine parachuted into Afghanistan that I had served with, but I'd been off active duty for eight years. And, uh, and I reconnected with them afterwards. And as I, now I'd, I'd done sales and marketing stuff, but again, that was accidental stuff where somebody would say, hey, come work for me and, and do this job. Yeah. And, and so now I'm, I'm seeing the inabilities of the system to deal with the issues that these Ranger veterans were bringing back from their constant deployments to their reliance on alcohol to numb what they've been through to the difficulties with their families and divorce. And, and I started putting together a network of Ranger veterans around the country that uh, could connect with a Ranger when that Ranger left active duty. If they went home to Kansas City or LA or New York, I wanted that Ranger to never be alone and isolate. Love that. And, and that concept turned into in 2010, the 501c3 Gallant Few. And, uh, and we do any veteran, any branch of the service. Now we want to connect them like big brothers, big sisters. We want to connect that the older veteran that now has been transitioned out 10, 20, 30 years, and they have a career or a job or they're teaching yeah. or whatever it is and connect them with a younger version of themselves that is leaving the military. So the younger version of themselves can benefit from the older veterans experience and in, in transitioning and, you know, you don't want to listen to your parents. You don't want to listen to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse or right. somebody tell you what to do. They're biased. <laughs> but if you're talking to yourself, right, if, if yeah. I'm talking with an Army Ranger that that is just leaving active duty and he knows that what I did when I was in the military, then he has 
a level of respect because we're the same yeah. professionally. Mm -hmm. And then he can say, well, how did you go to do this? Or, or I can look at him and I can say, I can identify half a dozen things that over the next 12 months you're going to be hit with. And one's going to be, it's going to be hard as hell to find a job. You're going to be angry and lash out at somebody you love. You're going to drink too much because the VA is going to screw you over. So I can tell them all these things, <laughs> yeah, well, which wow. can help warn them away from what they do. So, yeah. So, so I, I really enjoyed that. That's the, the first, the first part of my life, you know, is almost when I started the organization, I was, uh, 45. Okay. Wow. That's cool. And, yeah. And so, and so that intentional part that, that excites me helping other people do it. And then on a, on a really personal note, I like to do rock climbing. I do indoor and outdoor rock climbing. I road bike. You know, I, part of the, uh, the adrenaline thing, I think when you're in the military and you get to jump out of planes and do dangerous fun things. Then when you get into an office job, it's like, how do you kick the adrenaline back in and, uh, and doing rock climbing and road biking for me does some of that. That's really cool. I, I just love how you're, what makes you feel alive. This being a connector has translated into this organization that the connection mm -hmm. is at its core. I mean, just, it's so perfect. Does it feel like work? Sometimes it does. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a veteran, it doesn't feel like work. Okay. But, yeah. but as we're expanding, and over the last couple of weeks, we've we've started uh, a Native American veteran program uh, that's called the Medicine Wheel Society that's being run by a volunteer uh, Blackfeet Indian veteran, uh, Marine Corps veteran who lives in Washington State. We started a woman veteran program, and the director lives in North Carolina. And that's called Women with a Mission. And and so now, instead of me working one-on-one -on -one with a veteran, now I'm working with somebody trying to stand, basically start another business. Sure. Holy and cow. As, yeah. As, as our organization expands, we always at the core, it's one-on-one -on -one connection. But how can we facilitate that connection? Well, Native American, Native American, female, 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 Marine, female, Marine. Uh, it, it just the more of those lines that we can draw and line up, that gives us the more the more ways that we can cast that net out and get more people into the network, which then gets them connected so they can overcome some of the issues they're run into. That's, that's so cool. And, and how, how many mentors do you have in your, in your, program? you know, we, we have never stopped and really counted them. We, as we're, we're in our eighth year now and over the last 18 months, we really started using Salesforce. So to try and track things Cool. So before it was, Hey, let me connect you with this person. Let me tell you about them. Let me give you some resources go and come back to me if there's an issue. So we have a lot of those and hundreds of those, but I can't like run a report and say, okay, how many mentors do we have assigned to, we call them guides and future guides. Okay. Oh, cool. We're moving to a point where we're going to be able to do that. That's really, that's really cool. I, I get so curious about the nonprofits that grow really quickly. And, you know, we, we partnered with team Rubicon right out of the gate when we, when we uh, started exploring aliveness because of the 22 a day and, and, you know, are you familiar with Team Rubicon? I'm guessing so. I, yeah, I'm a, I, I, I am a volunteer with Team Rubicon, but I've never deployed on anything. Okay. Yeah, I am too. I've, I've done two deployments and I, I did chainsaw training and assist training. And um, that's I did assist training. It's so good to, to get to get in there. I mean, I love helping others. And so it's just easy to get in there and do that. You know, and the thing about those deployments is it's always short notice. You know, can you get to Iowa for five days in two days kind of thing? And, um, that's tough with two kids and stuff like that, but, uh, they've grown, you know, from when we first heard of them from 600 employees, our uh, volunteers, they're around 70,000 now. And I know it's a small percentage, probably less than five that are, uh, engaged, you know, with deployments and service projects and things, but you know, that's, it seems like such a challenge logistically to, to track the people, you know, to, to, to communicate to the people, keep them engaged, make them feel like part of your organization. And it's so yeah. cool to hear that you're using a tool like Salesforce. That's we're just implementing Salesforce. It's been a couple of years now. We're using it, but now we're starting to take it to the next level with marketing and stuff too. So, pretty. pretty yeah, our, our plan is to to have a veteran create a profile when they come to us through. They don't know it's Salesforce, but yeah, that's, sure. that's where the data is going. Yeah. And then we have a. a well, I'll send you a, a copy of the survey. We have a 25 question survey. We have five functional fitness areas that we measure. 
And we call it functional because it has to be usable in daily life or it's not worth messing with. Okay, okay. And it's fitness because you can measure fitness and if you can measure it, you can improve it. And the five areas, the, the first and most important one is functional emotional fitness. Mm -hmm. And that's understanding how your subconscious can sabotage your ability to have relationships, to stop bad habits, to achieve objectives. And what can you put in place that will help you move towards your objectives quicker? That's functional, emotional fitness. Okay. Uh, functional, spiritual fitness. You alluded to that. It's not, are you Catholic or Jewish or Buddhist? It's sense of purpose. It's connection to others. It's what do you do to help other people? How are you connected in your community? Functional, social fitness is uh, education on responsible use of alcohol. Because most military people, when they go on active duty, they're not taught which wine goes with which cheese. But, uh, you know, they're, they're taught to pound beer pretty hard. And sure. so they, a lot of them have to be, it's, a, it's uh, you have to have an open conversation about it because nobody wants to talk about that. And it's also, how do you make friends? It is the only place that you ever go for fun, a bar. You know, the, there are other places that yeah, you can right. go and other things you can do to meet people that don't revolve around alcohol. So that's a part of it. Oh. And talking about social media and, and what, nobody's ever given anybody training on social media. What should you share? What should you not share? Right. You know, why do you have Facebook? It's, it's not to influence the presidential election because when you go and post your endorsements about the president or the, the candidate for president, you're not making friends and influencing people. When you do that, you're just sometimes destroying relationships. Right. So, um, and then the last two are functional physical fitness. So okay. if, if you like to uh, go skiing every winter, then what are you doing in June and July as a physical fitness program that's getting you ready for that? A lot of veterans in particular, they learn to do 12 or 20 exercises in the gym, and that's all they do. And then they go skiing, and they want to know why they hurt their back or pulled a hamstring. So what, what do you like to do? Let's design a plan to help you with that. And then talking about nutrition goes right along with that functional physical fitness. Because shoot, you, you drink a couple of beers a day and you don't work out, uh, you start putting on a pound a month and yeah, exactly. three years out of active duty, you weigh 30 pounds more than you used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one is functional professional fitness. And that's money management. Do you save money? Wow. Veterans get, uh, they get a VA disability and the disability might've taken a year or two for the VA to process all that stuff. Well, they get a tax-free lump sum check for that period of time, whatever that rating was, some of them get sizable check, $10,000 check that's tax-free. A lot. Don't go buy a brand new motorcycle with that. You know, right. take a portion of it invest and it. save it and invest it for your future. And, and uh, so then you have somebody that three years down the road lost their job and now they can't afford their payments. And so it can, that can be an issue. So wow. that and uh, education and professional networking job fit into that category. So is that, is that that survey with all those categories, something you use as a uh, screening tool to, to, to remember? Yeah, we have, there's five questions in each category. And, and based on how they answer it, then we can, for instance, one of the questions is, I believe life is worth living. And it's a zero to 10, zero being not at all, 10 being a whole bunch. And if you say anything less than a 10, we need to have a conversation about what's going on. Wow. Um, but you, we may have somebody that says five. Okay. Now we really need to look at emotionally what's going on in your life, professionally what's going on in your life. Why Why are you halfway thinking I don't need to be on earth anymore? So right. uh, some of them uh, are, I, I budget my money. Not at all to a whole lot. And when you get the, after you go through and you see the responses, and we intentionally mix up some of them so they're not always you know, aligned the, the same way. So you might have one that it's flipped the other direction. Like I don't feel life is worth living instead of I feel life's worth living. So they have to answer a, a 10 instead of a zero to make them think. So they don't get complacent as they fill it out. Wow. But then having that conversation, when I get on the phone with a veteran, we, we walk through that. Okay, here, tell me why you responded in this way. And let me give you three resources that can help you with this particular area. If they're volunteering to be a guide, then I might see something in there that says, wow, we really want you to focus on this area because you're so strong in this area. Or did you realize that you are at risk for something else because of a way that you answered a question? And then we just started this first of January. So we're 
we're uh, starting to get to the point where we're having people go back and take the survey the second time so we can find out, okay, now you've been with us for six months. That's awesome. Have we increased, have we improved any of those measurable areas or not? That's awesome. Yeah, that it's so tough to quantify this uh, very qualitative stuff. And I love how you're approaching. That's really cool. Do you use, what system do you use to manage your surveys? Is it part of Salesforce or? Uh, yeah, right now I think we're using a simple survey. No, it's not simple survey. It's survey Mon survey monkey or something that's a, one of the free add-ons with Salesforce, it's too clunky. We can't stay with that. We have to do something different, but it got us started on it. So sure. we're learning as we do it. And, and it gives us that basis of conversation with a veteran. That's really cool. That gets me thinking about maybe the pillars of aliveness as a, you know, starting point. And so part of the thing here at Tuthill that we're looking at is um, what are our offerings for folks to feel more alive? And we have this awaken you branch where it's courses and retreats that, you know, in the next, I'd say three to five years, we'll open the doors to the public to, to come and take those classes. We have speaking engagements where, you know, our CEO or myself will go talk to people about how we're thinking about it and, um, and just share what we've learned, you know, make, breathing it into a business, a corporate environment, you know, because a lot of, a lot of business is about just the profit and not the people. And we'll talk about that. And, you know, this documentary is another example of our offering, but we want to broaden that through partnerships with organizations like, like Team Rubicon. We're, we're at, where it's an obvious connection uh, to aliveness and that we're wanted as much as beyond the check writing, you know? And so that's something we've learned with, with TR is it has been more about, will you please just write us a big check so we can call you an official partner rather than can you help us organizationally with this, this weakness that we have or this challenge that we have. And that's what we're looking for at Todd Hill is that true partnership with nonprofits. And, and you said you have 600 employees? There are 600 employees worldwide. Yeah, most uh, I'd say 550, 560 are in the U.S. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing that we're looking for, and we we chose veterans first because Jay Jay Tuthill, uh, you know, he's a huge place in his heart for veterans. His sons served uh, in the Navy, you know, Vanderbilt, and I mean, they were officers there. And 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 then I don't know if his father did or not, but that and again, we're an American-based manufacturer. The veterans, you know defend the turf that we manufacture on. And it just it made a lot of sense for a lot of reasons at the time. And it hasn't panned out where we thought that our, our leadership retreats would be really good in the, in the, and, and I still believe it is. Uh, and I can go, if you have a few minutes, I can even tell you a little bit about that. Absolutely. But, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about going into this video and cutting the piece out where I say it's done and moving it to after this, cause I'm still recording. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's great, man. Whatever you want to do, whatever makes sense there. But this, so we have these, um, I'd ask you not to share this next story, but the retreats that we, sure. that we have um, are, are three-day retreats. The first one's about understanding my own impact and also what, what we describe as like my essence. Like what is it that is the most important thing to me that defines me? The second one is about how do I, what's my impact on a, in a team environment? And, and the first one, when I, when I went through it, I was like, get me the heck out of here. I, I don't need to be fixed. I don't like sitting in a circle. I don't like talking about the stuff. Get me out of here. And I was, that was in 2004. I didn't have any kids yet at the time. And, and for me, a lot of it was like, how do I get more? How do I be more successful by materialistic stuff? How do I get that bigger house, that faster car or whatever? It was stupid. <laughs> it's funny thinking about that, but it was true. And I called it kind of the grass is greener complex. Well, so I went through that and the guy at the front of the room was like, Chad, I want you to write down exactly what you want in a house, exactly what you want in a car, exactly what you want in a wife, and then come back tomorrow. I'm like, that's my homework for tonight, you know? And so I did that and came back and realized very quickly that I had everything that I really wanted. And I was like, this is cool. This is great. This is great. And then I got to focus on and then clear that noise and focus on what was really important and then creating what I wanted next in my life. And so that kind of sense of life purpose that I gained from that, was, was amazing. And then I got to raise kids with the tools that I learned in that, you know, about awareness and choice and stuff like that. So, uh, it's a lot of EQ type of stuff, emotional, you know, intelligence kind of stuff. And so the sense of fire that I felt coming out of there and that most of our employees feel coming out of these retreats was like, gosh, if, if there could be an opportunity for veterans to sit in this for us to learn about them and them to hear that they're not alone, even with civilians, you know, that, we're all struggling in life at some, to some degree. And we are at choice to work our way through it. I still believe deep down that 
any veteran that goes through this that's in a bad place will take something very positive out of their retreat and start to create. Where do you do the retreats? Well, we do them close to our plants. So here in, in Chicago, we, we do it in, um, where are you at? Dallas. You're in Dallas. So we do them typically uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, we'll do them in Springfield, Missouri. Um, that kind of thing. So we we do them locally to our plants, essentially Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, like I said, Chicago. But um, the Florida, the, the second one has taken place in Florida. We're, we're trying to get that um, a little more local to our plants too. Um, but yeah, it's 12 people at a time in a circle and it's three, two and a half days. Uh, and there's a progression. So that's part of the thing that we're working on right now is to make that available publicly because we worked with uh, radical leadership to create this program. And um, we're, we're trying to make it our own now so that we can offer it instead of her and you know, working through those. Logistics. Well, shoot me when you have uh, a schedule, shoot that to me because I've got veterans in all those places. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be so good. And, you know, if it's something that assists your program, even if you had like a, a mentor pair, you know, the, the more the guide and the future guide come together. Holy cow. I can just imagine for, cause we do a lot of buddy pair type of stuff in those, in those, in those retreats and for them to come out with that, that's, that's how we kind of keep it alive. The buddy pair, even after the retreat, they, they meet regularly and we have follow-up calls and meetings to kind of support each other and, um, that's one of the failings of a lot of nonprofits out there is they may take somebody on a, this wonderful weekend hunting or fishing or other sporting event. And then afterwards it's like, thank you very much. You know, thanks for your service. See you later. Bye. Yeah. And then they go back to whatever existence they had before. Yep. And now it's worse because they've had this mountaintop experience and now they're right back in the crap where, wherever they were before. And so when we do events and we do hunting and fishing and, and uh, rock climbing, outdoor rock climbing events, we, we make every effort to create those pairs with an expectation that after they go back home, they stay in contact and they continue to support each other and, and, and in, a, in an emotional way, right? Not a financial way, right. but they're, they're, uh, then they're, no isolation is the biggest thing. You get somebody that goes back and they isolate that takes them down that dark hole to potentially suicide. So how do you, how do you know if they're staying in, in contact, the buddies, the, the guys? In that, that's, that's one of the things that we hope to be able to do with Salesforce is surveys, periodic surveys to do that. Other, otherwise it's just anecdotal if we know right. whether they're connected or not. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, this was awesome. Thank you again, Carl, for sharing so much of what you do over there and, and helping gotcha. us. This. Really appreciate and it. Meet your, uh, you asked about some material. Email yeah. me your mailing address, and I'll drop a book in the mail to you. You might like. Okay, cool. I wonder who wrote it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Cool, man. Let's see, I have. Uh, you sign it. Uh, I will. Thank you. Cool. Common sense transition. That is. Got to do it um, different. Would you be open to, when we get to the point where we're working on a book? Actually, uh, it's not. I mean, we're literally in outline mode right now. But I mean, as far as helping me answer some questions about that process, absolutely, uh, very cool. That that's awesome. And how, how long did it take to write? It took me about three months once I really Quick. sat down and started. Yeah, it's two hundred forty pages or so. It looks looks like a, a little like, over three hundred. Over three hundred. Wow, wow, and that's cool. Once it started, it just kind of it came out. So, <laughs> was, it, was it one of those just get a keyboard and start typing, and or did you kind of think through the outline and structure first? Well, I I did a little bit, but it was more of I'm just going to start writing, wow. and and as I did it, you'll see when you read it that I flip back and forth between some of my experiences and and what I'm doing now, and like one of the I'll bore you with all the details because you get to read it in the book. But my father walked out on my family when I was four. Actually, I just learned I was three. I, I couldn't remember how old I was, till, but I found a picture that yeah. shows the date. And uh, my mom was pregnant, and I had a sister that was two years younger than me. So three-year-old, one-year-old, my mom's pregnant. And he ultimately retired from the Army as a sergeant major. Never had any contact with him from the time I was four until I was 18. His father was a three-war uh, army infantryman, World War II, Korean Vietnam, 
and he died in 1977, a drunk in a men's shelter in Denver, isolated, alone. And he had thrown my father out of the house when my dad was 16. So you have a, a situation where you have a veteran that experienced the worst of war, probably had traumatic brain injury, definitely had post-traumatic stress, became an alcoholic, took it out on his son. Yeah. His son his son had one example to follow, and that was his dad. Yeah. And so he, my father, became an alcoholic and saw greener pastures and left. And so the um, rolling all of that, one of the reasons it's important to me is because I personally lived it. And and if somebody had been there to help my grandfather when he got back from World War II Korea or Vietnam, how much different would my life be? Would I've grown up with a dad? Would I've had that experience? I'm yeah. I'm jealous of somebody who grew up with a dad because oh I, I didn't have a dad. My grandfather filled in as best he can, but that's but that's different. You know, it's not your dad. Yeah. And, uh, but then when I was nine, I was one of the first boys that was brought into a brand new program called big brothers and got matched with a mentor who made a tremendous difference in my life. And then when I, the, as soon as I became 18 and I could be a big brother, then I was a big brother for an at-risk youth. And when, after I left the army and I kind of fiddled around trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I went and ran the agency that I'd been a kid in for two years. So now I had okay. experience on all three aspects of a mentoring organization. And then I went back into construction equipment, which is most of what I did after the military. Okay. And so I've taken a lot of principles of that into what the organization is today. Man, you know, it's, it's, this organization is not only in your blood, it's like in your soul. I mean, you're talking about something that started with your grandfather's generation and, and just trying to prevent that for futures. That that is so cool, man. Yeah, It's it's funny because I say the first, 40 years of my life were, were mostly accidental. Now, <laughs> as I look back at it, it's like, no, it was intentional. It just wasn't my plan. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a cool realization, man. Holy cow. Wow. wow. Hey Chad, it's great to talk to you. You too, man. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll be in touch. I'll, I'll uh, shoot you my, my note, my email with uh, my mailing address and stuff like that. So great. All Bye. right. Thank you. Hey, you have a great weekend. You too. Thanks Carl. Bye-bye. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Thanks to Kenny Thomas for permission to use his song, Send Me, and to Michael Broderick for the intro. Thank you, Army Ranger veteran actor and Gallant Few board member Tim Abel for sending us out with Isaiah 6-8, and thanks to the Jim O'Farrell Band for the Expel song, Nowhere. The New American Veteran is a Gallant Few Inc. production. All work is original or used by permission. All rights reserved. Visit www.gallantview.org for more information or to request to appear on the show.